0: Welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. Every two weeks, we post podcast versions of one of our free training videos, or you can access our videos now at beyondordinarywomen.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Kay Daigle of Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, and I am welcoming you today to this third in a series of videos about revisiting the question of women in public ministry. And our special guest is Dr. Sandra Guan, professor at Dallas Seminary. You can read more about her in her bio, which is on our website at beyondordinarywomen.org. In this video, we're going to talk about some women in the Bible who have been misunderstood. And Sandra edited the book, Vindicating the Vixens, which is fabulous. I recommend it highly. And she's going to talk about some of those women because they give us the background that we miss so often when we have just been listening to sermons forever and no one really talks about these women.
1: And listening mostly to American speakers. So one one of the things that happened in this book was we had an Arab scholar looking at Hagar. Uh, We had an African-American woman looking at the silencing and the racial passing that's happening in Esther. And so it's another good reason to have a variety of people at the table because their perspectives really opened up the text. So these are all people who believe that the Bible is God's Word. It was a high view of Scripture. But let's take, for example, the woman at the well. So John 4, the Samaritan woman. The first thing that uh, some scholars will say is that she is drawing water alone at noon because she's ostracized. And everybody came to draw water at night. But if you go to the developing world today and you hang out at a well, people are there all day. And the reason for that is because you can only carry so much water at one time because it's heavy. And so she's there at noon because Jesus is hungry. And, is, and it's going to establish in the text that Jesus is thirsty and hungry. And also explain why the disciples are off getting lunch somewhere, because it's noon. Okay, So that was the first thing of just reading into the text something that wasn't intended to be understood the way we sometimes understood it. But the other thing is we've seen that she had many husbands, and we picture a 25-year-old serial monogamous sort of loose woman. And then we read that the one she's living with now isn't even her own. She's living with some guy. But if, you know, rewind back to the ancient Near East, you have the number one cause of death for men is war. And the number one cause of death for women is childbirth. But if this woman hasn't given birth and she's lost a number of husbands, then, and maybe one or two divorced her, but it's entirely unlikely that she's marched into divorce court because a woman, as you know, from the Easter story, couldn't just give account in a court of law, right? And so the odds that she found a male representative to walk in there and represent her all those times extremely unlikely. The other thing that we don't factor in as Westerners, because we don't have concubines in the West, is that if you have been widowed many times, people might think you're jinxed, especially if you don't have kids. There's no record that she had kids. So she might have had to be in a concubine situation or, or polygyny in order to eat. And so if that's true, instead of Jesus saying, go call your husbands, you've had a lot of husbands, you know, and pointing out her sin, it's much more likely that Jesus is revealing her greatest point of pain, that he sees it. And not only that, she said, when, you know, he knows things about her, she says, are you a prophet? You know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to show us all things. And we've often treated that like she's deflecting away from her sin. What if she's not? What if this hurting woman who's been through all this grief is known to Jesus as a vulnerable person, and he's gone out of his way to say, I see you, I know you, and when she says, when Messiah comes, he's gonna show us everything, and he says, I'm it. Whoa. <laughs> that really changes how we see that story. But What it doesn't change is the argument of John. The argument of John is Jesus is God. So whether she's a loose woman or not, Jesus knows things that nobody could have known. Yeah. You wouldn't just guess somebody's had five husbands and is now living with someone that isn't her husband. Nevertheless, it does change how we share the gospel because we've tended to think we have to start with people's sin, and yeah. sin is an element of the gospel, but it's much more effective to start with their pain and the fact that God sees them and cares about them. So there's one, one of many, okay? Um, another is looking at the genealogy of Jesus. We've tended to say, well there's uh, Bathsheba and there was that whole incident with David and then Tamar and you know she pretended she was a prostitute and so all these women are there because they're loose women and that's just not the case. First of all, there are plenty of people like Judah and Solomon that we could say that about in Jesus' genealogy but that's not what we say. But much more important, the argument of the author that's listing those women in the genealogy is the faith of the outsider, and that God, Jesus is the Lord of Jew and Gentile. And so Bathsheba is usually called wife of Uriah the... Hittite. Exactly. <laughs> like, why do we keep mentioning he's a Hittite? Because outsider. Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab was from Moab. And so you go down and... The Virgin Mary is the only one that isn't an outsider. And the the men all had to be Jewish for him to be king of the Jews. Right. But for him to be king of the Jews and of the Gentiles, you've got to have some Gentiles in the line. So that, again, changes how we even look at the genealogy of Jesus. The outsider, the God was always for the nations. It wasn't ever just playing favorites with the Jews, but the Jews were to be a light. Another example would be Rahab. So she's in the first city that... Uh, the Jews come to enter the Promised Land. Moses has just died, and they're, the conquest that God has, has given them. And she says to the spies that come to her, I've heard about your God when he parted the Red Sea, which was 40 years earlier.
0: <laughs> right? right, and I think we forget that <laughs> we often.
1: Do. Like, this story didn't just happen last week. So you've got her belief and her fear of God, which comes out, which you don't see in the spies. It's kind of almost like they're foils for this Gentile to show God will spare if you believe you were Gentile, right, in that story. You've got the Virgin Mary who we've tended to, in the Protestant church, just eliminate her because we think that she's too elevated in other traditions, and so I've done Bible studies on women in the Bible that didn't even include Mary, but she's the third most mentioned person of the New Testament other than Jesus. So maybe we should be looking at her faith and emulating her. Huldah is a, a female prophet that's not very well known in the Old Testament. So what do you do with Huldah as a prophet, Miriam's a prophet, the daughters of Philip are prophets? Lots of reasons to relook at some of the women in the Bible and their stories. We have better scholarship now. We have more uh, a variety of eyes looking at the text. It's a good time.
0: It really is. And I highly recommend the book. In fact our life group did it. And so we had men and women going through the book and when we got to Hulda I was the only person who had ever heard of her. Out of about twelve people. Who probably studied the Bible plenty, right? Oh, absolutely. They've all been Christians for years. They know their Bibles backwards and forwards and Huldah. Never heard of her. So that's and and many of them had some of the same misconceptions that you've mentioned about the other women. It was it was very good. I highly recommend that your groups do it. Uh, if you're out there and looking for a resource, it's really a great thing. And especially, let me say also, for anyone who, of you who teach the Bible, if you're going to deal with any of these women, you need to read these scholars' perspectives of them before you teach about the women. Even the if they don't read the book, just knowing right. that it's time for another look, well, it, it can just be a resource book. Yeah. You can yeah. go to, you know, the part on Halda or the part on the woman That's at the right. Wells yeah, when, when you're yeah. studying them and use it that way. It's a great resource. Thank you, Sandy, for sharing that with us. And we are going to have a blog post with a list of many other posts that Sandra has written for Bible.org on these issues and more extensively than she's been able to share over just these three short video podcasts that we have done. You'll be able to find her list of other resources, other posts that she has written about this issue of the question of women in public ministry and much more information. And we will put that on our blog post, and you can find it at beyondordinarywomen.org. Look at our blog and search for revisiting will be the keyword there. If you have problems, just contact us at beyondordinarywomen.org, and we are happy to send you directly to the blog post. I'll be happy to talk to you or whatever. Sandy, thank you for the time you spent. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. You can find more podcasts and information about women in leadership by going to beyondordinarywomen.org. This podcast was produced by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries. Our production team includes Evelyn Babcock, Kay Daigle, Kay Halligan, Deborah Herring, Sharifa Stevens, and John Sparks. Theme music, Back in Stride by Don Miller, used by courtesy of Christine Miller.